subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to the Watford FC Buzz Podcast, the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford Football Club. My name is Matt Messiano and on today's show we'll be talking to Bristol City commentator Toby Osborne about how the season is going for Bristol. Uh, but first we're going to be talking, unfortunately, about that 1-1 draw with QPR. But to do that, it's a warm welcome back to football journalist Tom Burdell. Tom, well, they had a very long time to prepare for this one and arguably some players that uh, were away from this squad actually had a pretty good game. But... I was expecting the rest of the group to have had more time together with the gaffer to cement his ideas and, and, and come into this one looking closer to how Ivic wants them. But that just didn't really happen, did it? No, and it was telling in what in his post-match assessment, which I, and I tweeted this at the time, I actually thought it was quite kind of Jakanovic-esque. I remember the promotion season under Slav and he said, you know, my, my boys aren't superstars. I think it might have been after the defeat at Huddersfield and I was there at the... Uh, John Smith Stadium that day it was snowy and they were they were just wretched and they got beaten and he said afterwards you know my boys aren't superstars and if they think they are then they're in trouble and it was a little bit like that wasn't it he sort of maybe not quite as harsh but in terms of laying it on the line saying that's not how my team should play and you know that is well short of my expectations and to be honest good on him because ultimately he is the one that takes probably the bulk of the, the flack and certainly on Twitter last night I saw at least one poll asking serious questions about whether he should be in or out under pressure or, or otherwise. Um, you know, we all, obviously it's the players that, as we always say, that kind of cross the white line and, and put in the performances, but he is the one that's responsible for them. And it's, it's him that will pay for it, pay with his job. And as we well know with uh, with Gino Pozzo, you know, he won't sit idly by if he isn't satisfied with, with how things are going. So I, I don't blame him for that, but it, it was just... And we'll get into the real nuts and bolts of it. But it was a really, really disappointing performance and, and certainly one of the, the worst this season, I would, I would say, of the, those that I've seen, certainly probably down there with, with Wickham. Yeah, yeah, I think it's hard to argue against that. I mean, there were some players that uh, that did st- stick their head out and actually had a decent game. Mm. And in fact, all of Watford's centre-backs, who uh, had actually been uh, players who went and played for their international teams, actually were probably a lot amongst the best performers. And I was going to say that with the the guys that have you know obviously been back at the training ground and working is certainly not the back line. Obviously, um, as you say, all three centre halves: Ben Wilmot, Craig Cathcart, and William Trustekong off doing things with their 
the nations. Uh, Ken Semeroff with Sweden as well, if you say the wing-backs are part of the back five as well, or, or back three, depending on how you look at it. Mm. Um, you know, but it, it, it was, again, although they, they came under a lot of pressure, we did, we kind of handled it for a long um, for a long period. And in terms of the kind of quality of chances that QPR had, although they were camped in our half or our defensive third for what felt like long, long periods of the second half, if not all of it, um, they didn't carve a, a huge amount out. I can remember Ben Foster making one good save from Don Ball. Um, and they obviously the Lyndon Dykes handball header. But apart from that, there wasn't a vast amount. And it, that's kind of, that bears out in the XG, which I've talked about before. Their QPRs was 1.76 uh, expected goals. The chances that they had were worth that value. And Watford, 1.72. So, on the face of it, a pretty, pretty, pretty fair result in a fairly even game. But I think, sort of possession-wise and territorially, it was the hoops that were on top. Mm. Ben Wilmot, of course, uh, got Watford off to a good start. He nipped ahead of his man to poke the ball home from a corner, and after scoring for England too, he he, he looked excellent again. Yeah, he's been one of the the real standouts of this season, I think, hasn't he? It was a really good performance for him. Obviously, capping a fantastic week, and I think. We've seen so many fairly young players come into the club under the Potts ownership and with a great deal of excitement and high hopes for them. And it's it's never quite happened. Uh, you know, more often than not, they've barely been given an, an opportunity. And Ben Wilmot, it seemed like his path was going to be different, didn't it, from the moment really that Javi Gracia used him in that FA Cup run a couple of years ago at the start of the FA Cup run um, against, uh, I seem to remember he played away against Newcastle. And possibly against QPR or certainly against Woking and possibly against QPR on that run as well. Um, you know, went out on low last season, started really well, got injured, came back this year and it was apparent from the get-go really, wasn't it? I always, having worked at a club and been around clubs, you, you read into who's involved in the kind of social media and media campaign yeah. and he was introduced very quickly and it was very evident that he was going to be part of it. Um this season and and obviously he's been you know a mainstay really kind of rotated a little bit in and out but he's been certainly in that core group of four centre-halves that Ivic likes to pick from and I think he's got a really really good future ahead of him yeah, and it was another great delivery from Ken Semmer the sort of star man of Watford season so far yeah no absolutely who saw this coming I yeah. must admit I I and I kind of I didn't see much of Ken Semmer in the Premier League. I have to admit, I think I may only have been at one of the games he started. I'm pretty sure home to Bournemouth, he might have started on the... It might have been Bournemouth, it was, but he put it this way. He definitely started on the right wing and I was in the um, Graham Taylor stand... Sorry, Elton John stand that day. And I just thought, God, God, this guy looks so way off it, you know, just so left-footed. He looks so uncomfortable out on the right and, you know, kind of harsh to judge him based on that. Um, but it turns out, put him in the right position. It seems like a season away or half a year away on loan at Udinese has done him, um, done him the world of good, and he's been yeah. he's been fantastic, hasn't he? Great delivery, uh, you know, fantastic delivery for the goal. My only criticism around that is that after the success of that goal, after three minutes, the ball he put in for for Ben Wilmot to poke home, um, they seem to kind of become reliant, sort of default to that, didn't they? Very short corner to him to swing in and QPR got wise to it very quickly and ensured that it was not going to be a threat again. And I think just a little bit more sort of game intelligence would have made them think about think twice about that and maybe 
after catching them out with that delivery, just start swinging some deeper balls in or, you know, try something a bit different rather than rely. The QPR were very unlikely to ever be caught out twice by the same um, same type of corner routine. So, no, I have to be, you know, I have to hold my hands up and say I'm surprised about how involved Ken Sam has been and how good he's been. But as you say, he's one of the real stars of the season and quickly proving a key man, of course, with Adam Messina um, missing until mm. December at the very earliest. Yeah. They had another chance, Watford, from a set piece that eight minutes in and, and Ekholm just put it wide. And at that point, you felt like yeah. Watford were, were building something, actually, in that first half. And the, the, the second wasn't far away, but um, it, it didn't really pan out that way. No, it, it dropped off horribly from there, didn't it? And mm. Such a good um, such good delivery, such good contact from Ekholm. And having seen him obviously score a, a similar kind of powerful real thumping centre-halves header against uh, Coventry prior to the international break. You thought, God, that's got to go in. And at that point, you thought, well, that's all right, all right, fine, we've missed it. But, you know, they they were on top early doors, but obviously yeah. it didn't last. And if, uh, in the, the, the cold light of day, the following uh, the following day, it, it, it kind of seems a long time ago. And the whole narrative around the game has, has shifted to the, you know, reflect the, the second half and, the, the tailing off of that performance. Um, but it, it, Ishmael Asar had a chance as well going through, didn't he, that um, yeah. was saved at the saved at the near post by Senny Dieng. It was, you know, early signs were fairly encouraging, but it just it just completely wilted from there, the performance. Yeah, Andre Gray had a, had an opportunity in the first 45 minutes. He, uh, he had a, It was a good ball across, but he, he, he sort of got some contact on it, but it wasn't enough to, of course, to, to, yeah. to get into into the sort towards the goal. And, and also, Jared Predger had an effort on goal as well. But I felt, if you're if you're, if you're going to be critical, when he took the ball into his into his feet after after he, he received the pass just outside the area, he sort of took a touch and it gave the opposition the chance to get in position. And, and then inevitably, the ball was blocked before before it got to the goal. But he, maybe he should have taken that one on the first time. Yeah, I must have forgotten both of those chances, <laughs> but they're both very presentable chances. The Andre Gray one, I think. I wonder if that's just a little bit of lack of confidence, lack of sharpness, lack of routine of hitting back the net recently, because I feel like he gave Dieng the chance, but the contact wasn't brilliant. And we have seen that from Andre Gray over the years. Of course we have. But I just think, you know, that is the sort of chance someone like him, you know, quite good in the box, um, would ordinarily expect to snap up. And I just think, um, you know, on another kind of day a bit more confident I must say the defender obviously did well to get across and try and make it difficult for him um, but you know Andre Gray of kind of his Brentford days and his Burnley days I suspect would have got a much better contact on that and just smashed it home at the near post and made it impossible for the keeper to get to as for the Jao Pedro chance no absolutely right um, it, it, why he took a touch I don't know that was the ball was coming across at a nice pace if he'd have got his head over that, got his knee over that, wrapped his foot around it. He could have just picked his corner and I suspect with the momentum just hammered it in and it would have been um, a goal. And I just think that's a little bit of kind of naivety and experience from him and probably not being an out-and-out striker. I suspect, you know, your Troy Deeney, Andre Gray's would have would have taken Glenn Murray as well, would have taken that first time. Mm. I did tweet that as well. Just hit the damn thing, basically, and, 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 and work the keeper at the very least. QPR's only real good move of that first half came across the face of the Hornets' goal, and it looked like it was going to be a certain goal actually. But terrific work from Foster to change his angles, sort of mid-shot and beat it away. And again, he, he proved that he's, that he's certainly a very good keeper at this level. 
yeah, he's been fantastic again, hasn't he? Obviously, he was very um, self-critical after the, the Gustavo Hamer header at home to Coventry, say, prior to the international break. But, um, you know, he has been pretty much faultless, I think, this season, hasn't he? Uh, time and time again, seems to have kept us in games. Certainly the, the Wickham game away, he was man of the match, wasn't he? And, and rightly so. And yeah, really, um, really good save. And at th- that point, you thought, that's a little bit of a warning that we need to start taking these chances now because, you know, QPR hadn't had a lot uh, of opportunities and they got in behind, put the ball across for, for Don Ball. And as you say, he had to shift his weight and, and, and make the save quite smartly uh, down to his uh, down to his left, I think it was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we don't capitalise on opportunities, we're going to be made to pay. And obviously that in the, the fullness of time is exactly what happened. So after a fairly positive first half for Watford, I think most people were thinking, OK, OK, steady as she goes. We're, we're leading and we're, we're mostly in control. But the second half was so poor, Tom, and it just, oh, it's it's annoying me thinking about it. Wilmot had a header that was quite similar to True Stecombs in the first half, but was off target, and and then the equaliser just looked like it was it was coming from that point, and eventually it did come, and uh, it was it was almost like they passed it through the Hornets' defence, and Ilias Chair slotted it tightly past Ben Foster. Yeah, the second half was really, really, really poor, wasn't it? I don't think you can sort of understate its poorness to be quite honest the um the two changes at half time seem to it's always it's kind of hard to know how much of a direct impact these things have but it did seem that with those changes we basically knocked any creativity out the side we you know QPR had had I think more of the ball in the first half anyway but we looked quite good on the counter as you say least the chances that we created we had created something it was a bit of a calamity that uh, the, the, they scored that uh, decisive second, but thankfully the referee was able to spot the hand because, you know, obviously no VAR, so they had to be, um, they had to be really yeah. on their game, I suppose, the referees. But they were able to spot it, and and it was a it was a handball, so it was a, it was well um, well spotted, and in the end, Watford were able to cling on to the point, but uh, they've got some work to do. Yeah, certainly have, and I think. It was interesting in the week Andre Gray did an interview, didn't he, with the club and said, you know, mm. I'm not, I like to let my football do the talking, but by the way, we've got the best squad in the division and we should basically be, you know, getting performances and results that are worthy of that. We should be right up there. And the thing is, I don't know how I feel about that fully. On the one hand, I think, you know, do you know what, good on him for saying, no, we should have high expectations. We know we're a good group players on the other hand I think talk about putting a bloody target on your heads for the rest of the division um, but despite all the negativity and you know I'm perpetuating that as much as anyone we are still fourth I think I'm right in saying at the start of play on Sunday and the, the start of the day on Sunday I should say um, you know it's it's not disastrous by any means is it it just it's it's almost if we'd have got out of Loftus Road last night Kyan Prince Stadium I should say last night with a 1-0 win and it had been fairly crap, but we had, um, you know, beavered away, held firm, uh, sort of dealt with the onslaught and and got out with a clean sheet and three points, you'd have said, kind of performance of champions. But the fact that they did get the equaliser and, it ch- and of course it does, but it changes the narrative entirely, doesn't it? And suddenly you, you bundle that game in with Wickham and you say, you know, lesser team than ours, creates more, looks more dangerous, etc., away from home really disappointing um, and 
And I think, you know, that's the two things you can be doing nominally fairly well in the league table, in the league standings, and and not performing as well. And I, I was thinking last night, I was talking, texting one of my good friends about it. It's always very level-headed about Watford. And he texted me and just after full time and said, Ivic out. And I was quite surprised, but... Really? Wow. The, the more the more and more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? I, I wouldn't actually be entirely surprised because I hark back to um, Beppe Sonino, top of the league. Uh, they'd just beaten Huddersfield, I think, was it 4-2 um, at Vicarage Road on the Saturday? And he was sacked on the Sunday evening with the team top of the league. And the, the, the gist of that was that, you know, the players were incredibly unhappy. The, there was kind of a disconnect between the players and the management and you know it was it was not a healthy atmosphere now I'm not for one minute saying that there's an unhealthy atmosphere here I think there's a lot of respect seemingly from what the players say about Ivic is all very positive um, we're not hearing kind of murmurings of discontent as I say uh, from within the camp but clearly it's it's not quite clicking is it and, and Ivic has kind of come out and said in a very as I said very Yakanovic kind of way that it wasn't good enough and the performances haven't been good enough and they, you know, you have to work and all, all these sort of things. He was, he was very clear in, in his, um, in his, in his post-match analysis of the game that, you know, people that want to work hard and do what they're told will be in the team. People that don't won't. It's that simple. And I, 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 I do wonder if, uh, if this kind of rumbles on much longer, if the, the ownership will look at it and say, superficially we're doing fine we're in the playoff picture promotion picture but there's something deeper there's something beneath the surface that isn't right and he's not getting the best out of this group of players or this group of players isn't responding to his methods and his his tactics so it's there's there's a big few weeks ahead and you know if 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 it doesn't kind of improve, um, if the performances don't improve and they do sack him, I wouldn't be surprised at all. We've we've you know grown to become kind of ambivalent to check the change of own, uh, the change of management. Sorry, as Watford fans over the last eight years, and the the whole of football will be looking kind of down on us and scratching their heads in a puzzled way if it happens. I suspect, but we all know that it's been fairly kind of naff for for large chunks of this season. Yeah, fair point there, Tom. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the substitutions then. Watford made two. They brought on Troy Deeney and Domingos Quina. Uh, did they make an impact for you? I'll tell you what, let's start with Quina because I've got a lot more to say about him. I am a massive fan of Domingos Quina. I thought in his kind of fleeting moments and runs in the team in the Premier League, particularly prior to the injury under when he was playing under Javi, um, you know, I thought he was really good and I thought this is a real prospect. He looks completely different to other midfielders in so much as he's happy to pick the ball up and carry it um, and, and, you know, get the team up the field. Nice, low centre of gravity, good dribbler, looks comfortable receiving in different positions, different areas, you know, a lot of kind of football intelligence, looks like a real prospect. And I thought, in a way, relegation, in the way that I thought it'd be good for Ben Wilmot, uh, in terms of getting opportunities, I thought it'd be a similar kind of story for Keener, and it just it just hasn't worked for him, has it? It's been really, really um, uh, underwhelming, and mm. you know his introduction yesterday. I'm not blaming the, him or or Dini for 
the disappointing display in the second half. It, it, you know, let's let's get it right. It had, we hadn't been brilliant in the first half. We were just better than we were in the second. But he was just particularly poor. He won possession back a few times, which you wouldn't necessarily associate with his game. But he lost the ball eight times through a combination of being tackled or misplacing passes in the second half. And that, you know, eight times in 45 minutes um, is a pretty wretched uh, return when you look at some of his... If you look at the other two central midfielders that started, Chalabar lost it 10 times over 90 minutes, Kapu seven times over 90 minutes. You know, it kind of tells his own story. And just before we recorded, um, I tweeted the, about this and the worst kind of culprit in, in inverted commas for, for loss of possession yesterday was Kiko Femenia 22 times, obviously over 90 minutes. But when you look at you know, the difference in his role. He and he was a particularly impressive kind of outlet for us, wasn't he? Everything seemed to go really down the, the right hand side and he got high up the pitch and ran at their uh fullback. Lee Wallace got taken off in fact, he was running at him, getting at him so often. But, you know, not entirely surprising if you consider that he was essentially a winger, was how he was playing yesterday that he's gonna lose the ball a lot. But central midfield, you know, the job is to take the ball, receive the ball, look after it, move it on, you know. So to lose the ball as, as frequently as I did, he did, I thought it was a really disappointing um, performance from Domingos Kina and particularly so because I had such high expectations for him and I know um, a lot of other Watford fans that I follow felt a similar way at the start of the season that this could be a really, really big year for him. So far as Troy Deeney's concerns, I think it's kind of hard to judge him because he basically didn't get a lot of service at all, did he? Um yeah, I think I'm right in saying he didn't have a single shot. Yeah, didn't have a single shot. Kind of early on, I thought we got the ball into him and he let a couple of nice touches to lay it off to um, the people around him and what have you. But yeah, essentially, he was fairly uninvolved, wasn't he? And I just, I don't, I don't know if Andre Gray had done that badly in the first half. Deeney, for the record, by the way, didn't have a single touch in the opposition box, which kind of just sums the whole thing up. You know, I'm, I'm the first to bash Deeney, and I hope that I recognise that I'm pretty harsh on him a lot of the time. But, you know, if you don't have a touch in the opposition box, there's not a lot you can be judged on as a striker, is there? Um, I, I, I didn't think Andre Gray was that bad. You know, obviously we've discussed the, the, the good chance that he did have, yeah. um, that he, he passed up, but... I didn't, I didn't think he was, you know, so bad that he deserved to be hooked at half-time. And actually, I thought it was quite interesting that there were two changes made, two quite bold changes as well, made at half-time. Um, effectively changing the shape as well, you know, having been kind of 3-5-2 all season to what looked more like a 3-4-3 three, three with, with Ishmael Assar and Joao Pedro flanking Andre Gray to kind of abandon that experiment after just 45 minutes um, and go back to the kind of 3-5-2 and... And and have um, have Dini up front with Saar. I thought it just it just didn't work basically. So um, yeah, quite hard to to offer too much analysis into Dini's game, other than to say I don't think he was helped by those who were meant to be um, supplying him with the ammunition. Yeah, in, in his press conference, Vlad was pretty strong with his words. He, he said the performance wasn't very good. They needed to find a way to to improve the performance. He, he also highlighted they need to change their mentality as well, which I thought was interesting because it's I, I, it's hard to imagine that players go into a game not, you know, up for it. Is, is he talking about something else, Tom, or what's, what's his, what do you think his means? Yeah, there? that was the that was the most interesting part of what he had to say, wasn't it? I mean, quite rare. I pay much attention to what's said post-match. It's, you know, it's quite often guard, quite guarded um, stuff 
from from any head coaches isn't just a you know um, an, an Ivich thing, but um, that you know surfaced on Twitter, didn't it, quite quickly? And um, I thought, well, you know, as I say, good on him for actually just kind of just laying it all out, on the, laying it on the line, and saying, you know, that was not good enough. As far as the mentality is concerned, yeah, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because as you say, I kind of I always think this people very quick to say oh they didn't you know they didn't try they they don't care etc i do think uh i do find it hard to subscribe to that point we always think you know there's an element of professional pride and wanting to go out and and if not for the team maybe you know in a struggling team you want to go out and perform so you can get a move away or something at the very least um so to to kind of really question their mentality i wonder if it's almost the case of thinking along the lines of Andre Gray that this this is a really good talented squad you know everybody's virtually back we're obviously missing um, Will Hughes yesterday but you know virtually now we're operating with the best 11 that we could possibly name there's maybe a little bit of overconfidence a little bit of arrogance thinking you know QPR no great shakes having an okay season we can just go and roll these lot over without trying you know as hard as we might and um, you know, it's a, such a cliche and it's said about every division, but it's it's absolutely true. There are no easy games. I don't think the difference between the top and the bottom is that extreme that you, you have to work and you have to earn the right to play and, and, and earn the right to um, every point that you, you know, you scrap for in this division. You just, you cannot go out with that mentality. So that would be my best guess that, you know, there was a bit of kind of arrogance, overconfidence is probably the nicer way of putting it. Um perhaps among certain players. Bristol City up next then. They've uh, leapfrogged Watford over the table. They're sitting third now and uh, well, they've, they've won seven from 12. They're, they're a pretty decent outfit. They're three wins on the bounce. It's not going to be an easy one that game. No, I must admit, I'm really surprised. I've been really taken aback by Bristol City because I thought, um, you know, they're obviously a very ambitious club. They spent money over the years, done a lot of work at developing the stadium. Lee Johnson had seemingly done quite a good job, but was just kind of falling short of the the final hurdle of getting into the playoffs. And then, so to go from him to appointing Dean Holden with no real frontline managerial experience, I thought that was quite a quite a strange appointment. They started the season well, four wins from four, but obviously two of those were in the cup, and they beat um, newly promoted Coventry and Stoke, who can be either good or fairly awful. Had then had a little bit of a, a wobble um, in the uh, through the sort of October and start of November, no winning five, and I thought, right, this is the kind of regression to the mean I expected. But as you say, you know, seven wins from twelve, three in a row now. Critically, two clean sheets in in that run as well. Um, things you know seem to be coming together quite nicely for them. And what I what I would say about um, Bristol City, as you know, you look at their their forwards uh, that they've got, um, and a couple of them scored in the last couple of games. Has got the goals in those ge- games as well. Farmer, Famara Jeju, who I can never get his name right, but you know Chris Martin as well, very experienced campaigner at this level. I think a player that Derby fans were quite disappointed to see move on. Naki Wells has obviously done well previously. Andy Vyman is still knocking about. Jamie Patterson, you know, and those guys obviously players sort of wider forwards maybe but you know horses for courses lot of attacking um you know a lot of attacking quality there and 
you know, that, that is very much reflected, um, you know, in their league position first and foremost, but in the fact that they've, they're up there for goals as well, I think I'm right in saying, you know, good, uh, really good start to the season. Really good start to the season. Mm. Yeah, but coming back to Watford, if you, if you just look straight at the table, and I've got the table up in front of me now, it reads Watford in fifth, played 12, won six. I mean, that's, we've won half our games, we've drawn another four, and we've only we've only lost the two. I mean, it's not that bad, really. I mean, I know there's a lot of negativity because the, the Watford performances haven't been what we want them to be. But it, mm. to be quite honest, it's not the worst uh, by any stretch. And there's certainly, you know, a whole bunch of games to still come in this league. And uh, it's, it's, it is easy to, to to fall into that trap of, of getting very negative and down. But there's a there's a lot that's that Watford have, have been able to to cope with this season in, in coming down and, and sort of like having to rejig everything. It's almost a completely different team, even if a lot of the players are still the same individual players. They've yeah. had to they've had to shift how they would normally play for the championship, which is a completely different you know game almost com- compared to the Premier League, the way that uh, the way that teams set up and play in the championship. That there's there's a lot of optimism to be had as well about Watford, I think. I think you're absolutely right. And and this is why when I say uh, when I said earlier about my friend texting me saying give it out, I'm actually not in that camp. I could see why it could happen, but unlike you, I think he needs to be given more time. When you consider, as you say, everything that's happened with the end of last season, change of manager, um, very short pre-season, seemingly didn't basically barely played a game in pre-season, um, and then the you know the elongated transfer window, the kind of willy won't sagas around uh, Dini and Saar and Kapu and, you know, others, Decore as well. Obviously, we read this week in The Athletic that that really rumbled on for quite a while. I'm sure there's a lot more that we don't know about the kind of the players that weren't training with the first team, you know, some of which may or may not still be here. And so I'm sure there's a lot more to come out about the, the summer gone. All of that is a hell of a lot to contend with for a manager that had been here for yonks, let alone someone that's come in, you know, from um, abroad into a new country, into a new league, and is trying to kind of get to grips with everything very quickly and has made no secret of the fact that he basically hasn't been delivered what he wanted, which was another left-sided player so that he could, um, you know, set up in a, a with a back four rather than the back three, as we've discussed in the past. Yeah, There's... There's a lot of mitigating factors, and obviously, the bottom line is the expectation this season is promotion. Um, so the the margin for error is is, is quite minimal. Uh, the stakes are very high. The sooner we get back up, the better for the long term health of the football club, particularly um, at a time when you can't get fans into the ground and so on. So it's you know probably more imperative than ever that we are in the championship for as, as little time as possible. Yeah, there's quite a few fans who would agree with you there, Tom. Um, okay, then next up, it's Bristol City, and it's time again to have a little guess at what you think the score might be. Uh, so go ahead, the floor's yours. Well, I got this horribly wrong last time I was on. I seem to remember, <laughs> I seem to remember forecasting an entertaining 2-2 for the Barnsley game, and we lost 1-0 in a pretty wretched display. Uh, away against Bristol, away form, sorry, has not been good. Bristol City, obviously, in good nick. Oh, I'm going to say another 
one all draw. One all. Oh, we ended on a positive note, Tom, and now you've taken us back down again. Okay, never mind. Well, I tell you what. Before we go, um, let's just save a spare moment here to talk about your podcast because it is a very, very good podcast. I enjoy listening to it. It's uh, all about national league. So, uh, tell us all about the podcast that you run. It's called Conference Call. Uh, but what's it all about, Tom? Oh, thank you, Matt. Yeah, this excellent podcast, in my own view. If you are a fan of the National League and beyond, then myself and my colleague Will Evans from Twenty Three Sport do a weekly podcast about, the, say, the National League and beyond, digging into some of the interesting stories. And we recently had an episode that may interest Watford fans all about Wheelstone and their fantastic start to life in the fifth tier after promotion. As Matt says, you can get that uh, at via Conference C Pods or pretty much any podcast platform. Okay, great stuff, Tom. Well, next up, we're going to be talking all about Bristol City. And to do that, we've got the commentator of Bristol City in, Toby Osborne, who's going to tell us all about how the Robins are doing so far this season. Oh, no. Oh, Mitch, you've sliced that one. Oh, man, that's just getting embarrassing now. Right, that's it. I'm sorting this out. Hello? Is that Nick Pinnett's Golf Academy? Can you fit me in for a few lessons, please? Ah, oh, terrific. Whew. Yes. Blimey, what a shot. What in the world has happened to your game? If your game could do with some improving, get in touch with Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy, based in Panshanger. Nick is a PGA qualified coach who can analyse your game with the latest technology and coach you to beating your mates in no time. For more details, Google Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy. turn our attentions to the midweek game then and that means Bristol City and to chat about the Robins we're welcoming Toby Osborne presenter and commentator at Bristol City Toby well the Robins picked up another victory yesterday to make it seven wins from 12 and that sees you moving to third place you must be really enjoying life in the championship at the minute yeah absolutely I mean um it was kind of a bit of a up and down summer during the break, if you can call it a summer, between the two seasons. Uh, obviously, Lee Johnson, our former manager, left at the end of last season and mm. Dean Holden took interim uh, charge initially and then he got the, the job on a full-time basis. Um, and uh, yeah, he just he's a really normal guy um, and the fans have really taken to him. Uh, we got off to a great start early on in the season. It was kind of us and Reading that were neck and neck at the top of the championship. Um, and then we, we sort of fell away a little bit, um, went a few games uh, without a win or any points at all. Um, bit of bit, bit of misfortune as well, and and hard luck down to sort of injuries that we were picking up to key players, but we've won three on the bounce now, and uh, everybody's feeling pretty uh, positive again. So, yeah, we're we're happy with the way we are. I think if Dean Holden certainly would have taken this position, uh, had you offered it to him. Um, at the start of the season um, and the, there's a real sort of buoyancy and uh, buzz among the fan base and I think people are just itching now to to get back in the stadium. Yeah, that's like you said, three games unbeaten and, and do you feel like you've turned a bit of a corner after that Huddersfield victory? 
Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a strange one because we were obviously commentating on the the comment the the Huddersfield game, and it wasn't the best performance. We went one down, uh, but defensively again we were we were fairly solid up until the point when we conceded, um, and it was a fairly even game. It was just one of those games where. You know, you're not. It's not necessarily a side's your best display, but you you may be hopeful you come away with uh, some sort of result. And then um, the substitutes that that Dean Holden made that day were phenomenal. They they we had a slight switch in formation from a sort of five three two to four three three. Uh, Jamie Patterson came on. Uh, Semenyo, the pair of them had played a few games, so were rested. Uh, and I think he felt the the side that he put out could do the job, and they just completely turned the game on its head. Uh, and ever since then, there's you know I think it takes a a big away day sometimes like that to to really um, bring together what is a relatively new squad in in some respects with with incomings and a few players moving on during the summer. Uh, and that was a kind of turn, yeah, certainly a turning point. Um, and then to go to Cardiff beyond that and pick up the one nil win, which is a derby for us. Uh, in the southwest, uh, to pick up that one 0 win and a real backs to the wall defensive display late on, really galvanised the entire squad. So yeah, um, yeah, it really was a turning point. Certainly that that Huddersfield Huddersfield game and uh, and it, uh, it's continued ever since. I was going to ask you actually who you, who your sort of biggest rivals are these days because of course Bristol Rovers, um, who I'm sure would be the number <laughs> one, just. Uh, haven't really been playing you for 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 a few years. Is it uh, is it Swansea then, or is it uh, someone else? Um, so it's well, it, it is Rovers really. Obviously, we keep an eye on what's going on in the blue half of Bristol. Um, but but I think it's twenty years since I think it's twenty years twenty years re- relatively recently since Rovers were ahead of us in the football league. So we kind of discount Rovers <laughs> these days. Um, it's now it's predominantly. Um, Cardiff, who we who we seem to to face at this level, oh. we do we do have pretty feisty affairs um, when when we come to play Swansea as well. But the Cardiff rivalry is a bigger one, um, and then it's sort of Swindon um, when we've played them. Uh, but obviously Swindon are a, a, a couple of leagues below. Um, but yeah, predominantly it's it's Cardiff City where the biggest rivalry lies. That was our our last fixture before the international break. So we went to Cardiff and and got that one nil win. Chris Martin scoring early on. Um, and then uh, yeah, we went on and it was a kind of it wasn't the best display, but again we ground out the result, and that's the nice thing about Bristol City at the moment. We seem to be just finding different ways to win, um, and Dean Holden seems to be getting it right consistently at the moment, so that's good. But yeah, Cardiff, we've played them one nil win, but it was a, it was a good display. Yeah, Chris Martin, one of the new signings this season, but uh, it's it's an old man, Jamie Patterson, who's uh, firing you up the table at the minute. He's the, he's the top scorer. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jamie, Jamie Patterson. He's he's doing really well. He's he's um, he went off on loan actually last season to Derby County for a period of time, um, and he's he's a quality footballer. Um, really, um, his decision making, sort of in the final third, and his finesse and creativity, and he's he's able to score from range as well. Has always been there, um, but maybe he was just sort of comfortably trundling along a bit in a Bristol City shirt, and then last season under Lee Johnson. He was uh, sent out on loan for a period of time to Derby County. And then that was kind of overshadowed at Derby County by the arrival of Rooney. Um, And then he came back after Christmas, having not 
played a huge amount of games, picked up a goal, a few assists, um, and he's just, I, I don't like to say he sort of was transformed because he's always been a fantastic player, but he, I don't know, there was just something a bit different about him perhaps, um, and he's picked up plenty of assists and goals at the tail end of last season, and, and he's carried on his form into this season as well. Um, and he's just one of those players that can maybe go a, a bit amiss through games, um, does a lot more these days defensively, runs a lot more, has a lot more touches on the ball, um, largely because of the formation we play. But he um, he he just steps up now and again with that moment of magic that can really dig you out of a hole, uh, whether it's an assist or a goal itself. Um, but yeah, he's our top scorer this season. I don't think it'll stay that way because he's not an out-and-out striker. I think there's we still have the likes of Naki Wells and Chris Martin that I think will pick up goals, but he certainly will be up there in terms of assists and, and goal contributions as well. Yeah, Naki Wells is just one goal behind him, isn't he? And he'd uh, it, be doing all right in the in the in the goal scoring front. Eleven scored, and uh, it, it feels like there's been a bit of a, a change since the the transfer business was was um, was done. And you you brought in uh, all over the pitch, to be honest. But it looks like it, um, defense has been a particular area that's been strengthened, and and of course uh, you've brought in a, a number of players in that position. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we defensively. Uh, Alfie Mawson came in from Fulham on a season-long loan. He's now actually picked up a, a nasty injury and is looking like he's going to be out for a period of time, along with um, Stephen Sessignon, and also came in from from Fulham as well. So really disappointed we've lost both of them mm. to sort of longer-term injuries, which is they were really starting to cement their places, particularly Mawson uh, in the in the starting eleven. But we've we've we have got a, a really strong defensive unit. Of course, we've now brought in former Watford man Mariapa as well That's on a free right. transfer. Yeah. Um, so he's come in to sort of bolster the options. He didn't feature yesterday, he was on the bench. And I don't think he will feature a huge amount, maybe just late on in games. Uh, plus, well, I say that, we've got something like 10 games now between now and the new year. So I think given the fixture schedule and the fact that we quite often play five at the back, I think he will be involved more than more than we perhaps think. Um, but yeah, defensively, we've we've strengthened a lot. But the real, I think the real kind of, um, the signing that has impressed everybody the most has certainly been Chris Martin, um, who came in from Derby County, turned down a deal there, uh, and is coming on a two-year deal at Bristol City, and he's he's been phenomenal. Just his hold-up play, uh, he never loses. He never seems to lose the ball. He's very um, composed when it comes to his decision making, uh, and he's picked up a number of assists and got his first Championship goal for us against Cardiff as well. So he's been really impressive. Mm. And. Uh... Adrian Mariapa was enjoying the uh, the rafters at the stadium the other day. I, I didn't realise you could go up onto the top of the stadium. That was that was interesting. Those photos. Yeah, yeah it's become the, it's become the way that our the, the football club announced new transfers. I don't I don't quite know. It's um, the 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 man behind it all is uh, a chap called uh, Ryan, who is the social media manager uh, for Bristol City. Uh, and I'm not sure where the idea initially came from, but it's it's become a thing that we now announce our transfers on the top of the Ashton Gate roof. Um, and but fans love it. They've only got a poster, sort of a picture of a pigeon flying by or something like that, and then fans know that a transfer is about to be announced. So uh, he yeah he was uh, he was enjoying his time up there. I think Mariapa, but the weather's been pretty poor in in Bristol ever since. So hopefully it's. Um, <laughs> He's managed to settle in. It's not been too traumatic because our training ground's up high in Bristol on in a place called Fayland and it gets bitterly, bitterly cold up there. So um, hopefully he's settling in and he'll be able to contribute a bit to 
to our season. Yeah, there were a number of Watford fans, I'm sure, who were disappointed too that, that, that he uh, he wasn't retained. But um, it's good news for him that he's got a chance to to carry on extending his playing time because he he's getting on a bit now, but he certainly has a lot of life left in him to to to, to add to the game. And um, I, I for one. Uh, Hope that he uh, has a good season, or the, although that he doesn't uh, have a good good game against <laughs> Watford uh, this this Wednesday. But uh, other than that, good luck to him. Um, so, Bristol City, how are they um, they playing this uh, this season? Like, what's their what's their shape and their formation? Uh, by and large, it's been a sort of five three two that um, they've they've set up with. And the nice thing about Dean Holden and his approach is he's been very consistent with the way he likes. Uh, his side to play. So it's been a 5-3-2 up until the last two games where he switched to more of an attacking 4-3-3. Um, in some respects, I think that might be slightly down to the fact that we have had defensive injuries, um, but also just, I think, the way he just acknowledging that I think he well he made that switch during the Huddersfield game as well and it turned the game on its head and I just think he maybe acknowledged that he has the players in his arsenal that can um, come flying out the traps basically and really sort of um, get at teams early on in matches and we ha- we do possess that quality now um, whereas maybe the the sort of five three two is a slightly more conservative approach. Um, but yeah, he's been sticking with his four-three-three. That may change against a team like Watford. Um, a yeah. bit more, obviously, a lot more quality when it comes to playing teams like Watford, Bournemouth, and the sides that have um, been relegated from the Premier League. So it'll be interesting to see how he sets up on Wednesday. Um, but he may look to to continue. I mean, Bristol City have had a real issue with um, positive COVID cases in the last two weeks during the international break. So they've only actually tra- they only actually trained for a day and a half in the lead up to the game yesterday um, so it'd be interesting to see how the players recover um, today and, and tomorrow and, and Tuesday ahead of that fixture because he may want to just completely rotate things um, if those players aren't really um, completely up to speed so it's kind of a bit of a difficult one to predict on, um, in the lead up to Wednesday but I should think he'll probably stick with his 4-3-3 So what areas do you think that they'll be trying to um to prepare for given that the, the Watford side has, has got um, like you say a, a number of talented players in their in their lineup. Uh it's a funny way. I mean he Dean Alden always sort of makes a makes a um a comment to suggest that he doesn't focus too much on um you know the the opposition obviously they 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 make sure they do their preparation on on particular threats but I know I mean Watford the the squad depth that Watford possess it's very I guess it's very hard to kind of um, prepare too much because there's you can sort of flick between different options all the all the way through games I guess yeah the I mean the championships just a, such it's such a turbulent league isn't it I mean you you can sort of lose seven or eight games on the trot and then win a few and you're back kind of you're back in amongst it again it's such a, a peculiar league but I t- most a lot of fans looking in um, at Watford are definitely enjoying Ben Foster's um, YouTube vlog. Oh, that yeah, seems, that seems to be getting the, uh, the that seems to be getting the headlines at the moment more than anything else. Have you been tuning in? To- <laughs> yeah, we. I love. I think they're great. I think there should be more of that in football. Really, a, a more more kind of behind the scenes. I mean, 
he's he is a real personality Ben Foster and there wouldn't be many footballers that could kind of bring the charisma like he does to that but I, yeah I really enjoy them I think they're great yeah I mean they're, they're getting a bit samey now though because uh, obviously so so often the um, the setup for, for each game is, is quite similar they go to the hotel he'll chill out in the hotel he'll yeah. eat the same snack foods and but um, you're right he has got a real charisma is, the, is a perfect word for it and um, and I think that's why he's bringing people to the to the to the channel and um totally it's yeah. nice that they, they've been able to uh, do a, a deal with the with the um the football league now as well so that he can continue to show those sort of like um highlights because um i think that was that was a big part of it seeing behind the goal from that kind of angle it was interesting to to sort of see what it looks like and, and actually i I've, I've had to say i've been even more impressed with how well he's been playing this season being able to see how quickly he can get across that goal and 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 save the the shots he's been saving in real time it, it just uh there was there was one moment when he saved a penalty and i was like wow you know it looks so much better in in the gopro yeah. view seeing how quickly he's had to move rather than watching it from like a, a broadcast camera because i guess we're so used to that view it's it's nice to see a, a different a different section a different side of uh of, of, of football yeah, it's certainly it, you. You really get to see the kind of intensity of being a goalkeeper as well, and the you know the speed at which balls are coming at him. Um, and uh, yeah, like you say, you don't really get that with normal sort of broadcast cameras and the usual views that we get. But as soon as your pitch, yeah, as soon as your pitch side or you you get a different angle like that, you can just see how quickly he kind of covers covers the ground between the posts and uh, how quickly you know things change at corners and things like that. It's really interesting. Mm. So uh, talking about goalkeepers then, uh, how, how's your uh, number one doing so far this season? Uh, yeah, Dan Bentley. So he's um, he came in from Brentford um, at the beginning of last season and was kind of immediately highlighted as our number one. Um, and he, d- he did really, really well straight away. He continues to do well. He kind of made a few mistakes at the tail end of last season after the restart, particularly in a game against Blackburn. Um, and he was initially dropped, but... He um he he's a fantastic goalkeeper and he's he's started this season really strongly. He's the sort of foundation of the side. Um, he's so, he's he's not the biggest guy, but he's incredibly athletic. He's um really agile. He's almost a bit like kind of a bit of a David de Gea mold in some respects, like a real shot stopper. Um, uh, his distribution's really good as well, and he's he's a real leader out there. You can hear him especially at the moment given that there's no noise in the stadiums you can really hear him bellowing his instructions from from between the sticks um and he's uh he's dug us out of a hole a few times pulled off some really impressive saves um and when we've need when we've needed him most so our, our defensive unit has been really impressive this season um led by our captain as well Thomas Callas who's who's a real force bought him he's he's um been on a number of loan spells with various clubs in the championship and gained promotion with them during his time with Chelsea as his parent club and then Bristol City got him um on a on a full full transfer a couple of seasons ago so um yeah he's uh, become club captain this season after we lost Corey Smith um and he's uh he's he's leading from the front as well as long uh, alongside Dan Bentley yeah yeah four, four clean sheets this season and uh He's only conceded nine, so it's I mean it's pretty good stats for a goalkeeper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been really impressed because they've not. It's not been easy for them given the the injuries that we have had and the changing 
at the back and a bit of a switch in formation and a relatively new partnership in Callas and Zach Viner as centre-backs as well and then Jada Silva and Jack Hunt as, as full-backs, the, the unit as a whole. Um, and that's largely down to the coach. We've got some great coaching staff in um, Pat Mountain, who's the former goalkeeping coach, but he has a lot to do with sort of set pieces and, and the team defensively. And then we brought in Paul Simpson and Keith Downing to to be um, this kind of second in command to Dean Holden. Uh, and they've really worked clearly very, very hard with that defensive unit on a number of different things and they look so much more confident on the ball able to bring the ball out from the back real ball playing um, defenders and Jada Silva I have to mention him who's our left back he's a fantastic football player he's he started his career with Chelsea we now have him on a permanent deal um, but he's, he's he's a small guy but he is tough and he is we were talking in a commentary yesterday Rene Gilmartin who joined me in the co-commentary said you know, I could just sit and pay and just watch Jada Silva play football because he's he's a left back, but he he could play anywhere on the pitch. He's he's brilliant and he's a really important cog um, in our side. So yeah, we're 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 all feeling pretty optimistic, as you could probably tell. <laughs> Rennie Gilmartin is a fantastic uh, summariser, isn't he? He did the job for uh, for, the, for the BBC Three Counties of, uh, for what for the Watford matches yeah. uh, a little while ago, and uh, he was um it was always very very interesting to listen to when he was. Uh, he was, he was, of course, a part of the Watford side, um, although the uh, the third choice there. But uh, that was some time ago. But he was, he was always really, really great, uh, great crack and, and good to listen to. Yeah, he's um, he's a real. I mean, he's 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 obviously he's still sort of well. He's actually probably fourth choice goalkeeper in a way now. But um, he actually helps coach the under twenty threes. He's got all manner of commitments. Co- coaches the under twenty threes. Fourth choice goalkeeper. I know he he um takes charge to an extent of the irish under 21s and he sort of gets involved in a lot of media stuff so yeah he's brilliant but he's a real he's a really nice guy he's got bags of of knowledge and he's a fantastic summarizer and um analyst for us up in on robin's tv so uh yeah he's a great character and i think everybody thinks very highly of him um so yeah long may he stay with the club and, and be involved you were just mentioning there that uh, obviously you've been you've been in a privileged position being able to go along to the to the games and uh, you know how have you felt it the the atmosphere this season with uh, with no fans being inside the stadium? Uh, yeah, it's 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 not been good, um, but I, I mean I feel very privileged that I'm in a position where I can go into the stadiums and, and be the first to sort of explain what's going on if you like in in simple terms, um, but. Yeah, it's just not the same. It's it's everything that goes into a match day as well. It's seeing familiar faces. It's that buzz around the stadium when you first arrive. You know, it's if you're a fan, it's getting your pint and your pre-match pie or whatever. Um, and it's just such a shame that we're in a position at the moment that we're in, and and people haven't seen. And it's been so. It feels like it has been. So, and it has been so long now. It's you know, it's it's getting to the point where it's a full, essentially with all the games added up it's going to be a you know a full season before long that's that's been missed um and it's it's gutting um, mm. I, I just i just kind of keep saying you know you've got to th- think about you know the the days where the stadium is full again 
uh, and how I mean I don't think anybody not that anybody did but take it for granted and I think the atmospheres are just going to be incredible when we are all back you know the vaccines rolled out and we're able to enjoy uh, football normally again because you know it, it, there's going to be a stage clearly where we're we're social distancing fans in stadiums um, but it's going to be fantastic when we're back to complete normality and we have those last minute winners again and everybody's clambering all over each other and it's um it, yeah full atmosphere mm-hmm. so i can't wait for those days to return but yeah it's not the same uh but i feel very privileged to be doing it yeah, and the good news is that in the interim, they, the Bristol City fans have got uh, a really great presenter and commentator to listen to. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also, I, don't know if, I don't know if they'd agree with that, but yeah. <laughs> and also they're able to watch the games, of course, as well, because everything's being streamed and they can, yeah. they can tune in and, and buy their match passes. And uh, and it's um, it, it, it gives fans the opportunity to still watch the game, albeit in a, a, a much reduced way than they would have like to and, and and of course they're able to watch some really good football this season and sitting in a good place in the table quarter of the season gone so far playoffs has to be the minimum aim isn't it yeah it's been the, it's been the aim for the last few seasons the playoffs um and i think you know i think well the way kind of it's too early to say still but you know i'd, I'd like to think that that we um we will be in the playoffs come the end of the season. I think we we should be. I think we have the quality to be be interesting. It's a really interesting period of time now. This these these ten games for everybody for every club between now and the new year. I think come January we'll really get an idea of who is going to be up and around there. And I think if you know City can come away from from this period with somewhere between sort of. 14 and 18 points may maybe I think that would I think that would be kind of quite satisfactory at this at this level they'd be relatively happy with that um and I think it will put them in a, in a decent position going into the remainder of the season but yeah mi- minimum playoffs um this year I think we will do it um whether we're sixth or third um more likely sixth I'd imagine um but but I think yeah this is a season we'll um we'll give that a go for sure and I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully following City maybe to Wembley who knows and Watford coming on Wednesday last question for you then what do you think the score will be Toby oh that's a tough one I'm going to go I'm just I'm going to I've got to stick with City of course I'm going to go 2-1 win Bristol City excellent stuff and that's the voice of Toby Osborne presenter and commentator at Bristol City and he'll be the voice you hear if you buy the Bristol City match pass on Wednesday Watford's one, of course, still available. John Marks is fantastic. But if you do fancy a change, then uh, Toby will be more than happy to do the job for you. Well, that's us out of time for this podcast. But don't worry, because we'll be back again with some more great insight, great analysis, and, of course, great guests just like Toby. If you've enjoyed the series so far, make sure to share it with your mates. Give us a retweet on Twitter, and please get in touch to tell us what you want to see in future episodes. We're also on the lookout for someone to join the team behind the scenes. So if you're interested, drop us a line at watfordbuzzpodcast at gmail.com and let me know what you'd like to do. So from me, Matt Meziano, this has been the Watford Buzz Podcast. See you next time.